Hey friends, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, I'm your host, and today I have a co-host to help introduce uh, the show. Yeah. What's your name? Jordan Joy Siepert. Jordan Joy Siepert. It is Wednesday, December 21st. Jordan should be in school today, but you're not. Why? Yeah, because I'm sick and I have a cough and I have a high, really fever and I feel like toast. Yes, well, you had a high fever the last four days, but today's the first day that we're fever-free, so we're hoping we can make it 24 hours without a fever. Yes! Uh, tomorrow starts Christmas break, so we're starting Christmas break early. Uh, she's off for the next 18 days. Yeah! It's going to be wild. And we got to write a letter to Santa today. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun! And we got to maybe watch some Christmas movies. Oh, uh, yeah! Do some stuff. Yeah, and you're going to help me record this. Yeah, i help you record this because I'm a really nice friend. You are a super good friend. So today, friends, we are talking to Dr. Nicole LaPera, uh, also known as the Holistic Psychologist. Uh, she wrote a brand new book. It's a workbook called How to Meet Yourself, the workbook for self-discovery. She can tell us all about it. And I've been wanting to get Nicole on the show for the longest time. Uh, I've reached out to her a bunch of times, but every time I reach out... Um, she's got something going on because she's super busy. And so literally been trying to get this on the calendar for about two years. And we finally did it. Jordan, two years, you were three when I first reached out to this, this guest. And now you're five. And yeah, um, I'm drawing me in my performance. Oh, you're drawing you in your performance. Your yeah, performance? Yeah, because last year I had a performance. And... Well, last year was like was like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it wasn't that long. Yeah, but I was there. Well, it was amazing. It was amazing. Do you want to sing one of the songs right now, Frosty the Snowman? You don't remember the words, do you? You don't remember the words. What? Frosty the. Shh. Okay, sorry. <laughs> We're not gonna sing the song. I try, I thought maybe she would sing the song for us, but. It's not going to happen. But anyway, this is the last episode, friends, of uh, uh, season five of the show. Last episode of 2022 of the show. And so next week we start season six. First episode of 2023. And uh, all the good things. But this episode's a lot of fun. Uh, Dr. Nicole and I had a really good conversation about meeting your authentic self, uh, connecting with your inner child, uh, dealing with the habits Wait, that we have in our lives. Uh, what would you say? Uh, well... Being sick is kind of good because I get to um, watch some videos. You do. You get to watch some videos and do yeah. all the different things. But so we talk about a lot of stuff in here. And this workbook is is really solid. It's not something you can like rush through. It's not something you can just open up and read like, you know, 60 pages a day or something like that. Like you really need to take your time through this thing. It's self-paced. So you can go quick through it if you want to. But for me, I've been going through it for like a week now. I'm just like a few pages in because there's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of stuff to think about, a lot of stuff to process, a lot of space for note-taking and jotting down ideas and doodling if that's your thing, but really good book. I highly, highly, highly recommend it, How to Meet Yourself, the workbook for self-discovery by Dr. Nicole LaPera. So anyway, I'll put all the links in the show notes, links to Patreon, buy me a coffee to support the show, and that's in the show notes. My book is in the show notes. Uh, and that's it. Jordan, got anything else to say? And I'm sorry that I coughed in the last one. Oh, yeah. Well, we just, we, we recorded this already once. Yeah, because I <laughs> did cough because Dad didn't want to record this. Well, you can you can cough if you have to. But we were coughing and talking and there's like no way to really edit that. Yeah, out. I, w- work. yeah I 
when I talk, I feel like. Yes, we decided this time if you cough, we'll just stop talking. So and I can and edit it out. Then, well, I got cool books upstairs. So do I know something, guys? What? Um, I have a cat named Pixie. We have a cat named Pixie. That's right. She has a bell on her neck. She does. She's so cute. She's so cute. All right. Well, say goodbye to the people. Goodbye, people. Uh, do you know anything about my performance? Just tell me, and maybe you'll tell me in the comments. Oh, you tell, us, tell us in the comments and then, if you like our performance. <laughs> and and maybe we'll send you a video to see how we do that oh. with all of my friends in my class. There you go. I don't know how their moms and dads would feel if I just put a video up them on the internet. I don't think that would go over too well <laughs> with the school. I don't know. What do you think? All right, friends. That's it. That's all we got. Signing off. Episode 236 with Dr. Nicola Perra. Enjoy. I've been busy searching for you, yeah Trying to figure out if it's true, true Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah This mind don't buy, don't play by the rules I'm gonna make sure that I play my cards right Intuition gave me signs that everything is alright Contemplating on my moves, I'm in a fight Under pressure, feel the walls, I'm moving in, it's getting tight, getting tight. The shuffle getting real. real, I hope it lives on something good I'm all in for the kill, kill sometimes kill, it's getting kind of scary I'm here for the thrill, decisions on top of decisions Like I chose a pill, the bottle getting kind of empty Temptations made its presence in the air, it's kind of tempting Shortcuts out the question, but it got on my attention Uh-oh, and I forgot, but did I I mentioned, looks like I won the game, made my decision. I listen. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Today we are joined by a brand new guest who I'm really excited to talk to. Her name is Dr. Nicole LaPera, also known as the holistic psychologist. And so Dr. Nicole, uh, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor to share this time and this space with you. Thank you so much, Glenn, for having me. I'm super grateful. Definitely. So before we get into uh, the conversation about your book, can you tell us a little bit about you and your work? Because most people obviously know you, but I pulled some of our listeners just to check and I was very surprised to learn that not everybody knows who you are. And so maybe just a few minutes uh, to introduce yourself. Who is Dr. Nicole and what is the holistic psychologist all about? Absolutely. Um, so I think what really kind of embodies how I now work is a big shift, a pivot um, mm -hmm. in my own personal life and in my professional life. After, you know, intuitively always wanting to understand people um, before very long, I was marching the path of becoming a clinical psychologist and opened up a successful practice. I was living in Philadelphia at the time and several years on the personal side of things. Let me mention that because that's a big part of my story. Um, <laughs> I'm someone who has a very intimate awareness, knowledge, experience of anxiety. Mm -hmm. As long as I can remember, quite literally, I describe myself um, in childhood as the little girl afraid of the world, painfully shy, um, always a worried bad things were going to happen to me and my family. Um, so in, in a very proverbial sense, being on both sides of the couch, um, and I think a lot of times that's what sends us into the profession of wanting to help people. So several years into my practice in Philadelphia, I started to feel really, really disempowered, not only on the human side of things, um, after having checked all of the boxes that I imagine were going to you know, create a fulfilling life experience. I had mm -hmm. a successful practice. I had an active social life. I was in a committed partnership. I was living, you know, in the city of my choice, Philadelphia, opening that mm -hmm. practice. Yet deeply, I was feeling 
disconnected um, and unfulfilled on a very large scale. And what I was seeing then in my practice several years into now having clients that would come to see me week after week for sessions, kept feeling the word that kept coming up in my sessions stuck right along Mm. with them. Um, No matter how much insight and awareness. And again, I had clients who had been working with me for a long period of time there was a recurrent theme of being unable to translate the tools that maybe we were even talking about in those sessions into new actions, new choices, into relief for the suffering that brought many of the people into my office. So Mm -hmm. from that really disempowered space, I really got curious and I think did what a lot of us do. I went online seeking. (laughs) um, I love learning things. So I got, you know, I was wondering, you know, why are all of these tools, what's happening? Why are so many people, and this was reflected in, in my friends as well. Why are so many of us suffering so much, even though we have again, access to resources, insight, awareness, and what I was met with very thankfully was a whole world um, of new information, which for Mm -hmm. me predominantly included our bodies. Um, In my training, really historically, we talked a lot about the mind, Mm -hmm. um, the power of relieving mental, emotional pain, though the conversation never really included the physical body, the nervous Mm -hmm. system in particular, different degrees of trauma and dysregulation that we're storing um, in our mind and body that was contributing to that continued stuckness. So Mm. for me, it was that point of curiosity, which led to information, which then led to my own personal implementation of some of these new, more holistic tools, which then shifted me into a professional way to begin to work much more holistically, to take my message online, creating the Instagram account where it all began, the holistic psychologist as really a space to begin to speak, just like I'm speaking to you now, sharing my personal journey and also my professional tools with hope of Give, you know, giving people the opportunity if they too were feeling stuck, which I saw very what was very overwhelmingly the case, mm-hmm. um, to begin to create that change. Yeah. And your account, I mean, speaking of Instagram account, it kind of blew up. I and mean, obviously it was like an overnight thing, but it seems like it went from here to there <laughs> very, very quickly. What was that like for you? Um, it was mind blowing. I don't, I was not necessarily anticipating. I I didn't really necessarily even have an expectation of, you know, who would be on the receiving end. If I'm honest, I had a bit of fear and concern, Mm -hmm. um, because something that I learned very, um, specifically in my training was not to talk about the personal side of my own journey, even though there was so much that I could relate with so many of the people that I was working with, you know, we were taught to be that quote unquote blank slate in the room and not to share our humanness. So I had, you know, a bit of concern of how would people think about me if I am, you know, saying that I'm a psychologist and I'm a human who's struggling right alongside of you. Um, And also I had a bit of, you know, concern of how would the field think now that I'm beginning to talk about the body, nutrition Mm -hmm. and wellness and movement and Mm -hmm. the nervous system. And again, all of which I had not heard anything about in my training program. And to speak to your point, what I was met with Mm -hmm. was actually overwhelming resonance support agreement, whether you were on the personal and the professional side of things, Mm -hmm. Um, people hearing in my personal story, you know, so much of things that they were struggling with professionals hearing in my professional journey, so much (laughs) of the awareness that they were coming to on their own. So I think, you know, as the numbers of the followers, quote unquote, or the community, right, really increased shot through the roof really quickly. For me, that was just affirmation that I was speaking and touching on something that, and the, the 
um, community was from even beyond the United States where I live. It was, you know, quite global, quite international. So for me, it was indicating that universal resonance. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's what makes your content, I think, so relatable is that you're like, there's other people doing similar types of things. But a lot of times I feel like they're speaking at me as and from like this place of knowledge and research and, you know, wisdom. But I feel like whenever I listen to your videos and I see you doing your thing, it's like you're talking with me. It's more like, yeah, me too. Like I'm struggling with this and this is where I'm coming from. And that just makes it so much easier, I think, to digest and make it applicable to your life. So well done. That's Thank you. And that's so meaningful, Glenn, to hear because something that I you know, continue to think about um, having, you know, a bit of this belief and way of thinking and way of being in my own, you know, family system is how often so many of us do defer to other people, right? Yeah. Assume because yeah. people have letters after their name or, you know, whatever it might be that they know better than we do. And of course, this isn't to, you know, say that helping professionals, people who maybe do have letters or pieces of information that we might not have ourselves sure. aren't a part of our journey. I think what you're saying, this idea that, you know, you know better than I, I just see this woven for so many of us and how we approach life, whether or not yeah. it in, is in terms of what information do you have to give me? We yeah. outsource yeah. Um, meeting our needs and doing a million different things. And again, I think that leaves most of us feeling empowered. So talking with, being a participant in understanding and creating change, whatever it is that you're feeling stuck around is what my hoped for goal is with you know, talking about these, these topics. Yeah. Well, you accomplished it. <laughs> Definitely. So you have a new book out. Um, it's right behind you on the, on the screen there, but uh, it's called how to meet yourself. And it's subtitled the workbook for self-discovery. And your first book was called how to do the work. And that was like a normal book that you would open and read from front to back. Uh, but this book is more of a, of a workbook with questions and space for lots of writing and reflection and doodling and things like that. So maybe talk to us a little bit about how this this book differs from your first book. Like obviously they're two different books, but then also how might they work together to help somebody on their healing journey? Yeah, I like to kind of think of these books as really complementary mm -hmm. um, pairs um, in our journey though, to speak to that point. And I get asked this question often, you know, people have interest in buying the workbook mm -hmm. um, portion of that, of that pair of that duo, you know, do we have to have, have, do we need to have read how to do the work? And, you know, absolutely not. While they mm -hmm. complement each other, it doesn't necessarily, you don't need to have read one to benefit from the other. And to speak to your point, um, the how to do the workbook is very much like a regular read, a narrative. You'll read stories, some of which you may resonate with. And I did set the intention of making that really practical, applicable. And at the end of every chapter, if you, you have that book, or if you do choose to purchase that book, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the concept is, whether we're talking about the ego or the inner child, you know, at the end of the chapter, you'll meet journal prompts or mm -hmm. exercises to begin to apply that concept, um, that tool in your day-to-day -day life. And one of the things that I talk about often in terms of creating change, and you'll read about this and how mm -hmm. to do the work is to make things different, to make new choices. We have to see where we're starting really simply yeah. we have to see what's keeping us stuck what are those habits and patterns because that's what i believe mm -hmm. keeps most of us stuck all imprinted in our subconscious <laughs> mind driving our daily habitual behaviors if we are not conscious to it where are those stuck points and mm -hmm. something that i you know kept exploring within myself is 
the reality, and I like to think of our, us like a horse with blinders on. I don't know if anyone <laughs> ever saw of a horse that prevents their kind of yeah. like side vision, their periphery vision. <laughs> we are all that. It is very difficult for most of us to see what it is exactly, what are exactly those habits that are keeping us stuck. So my mm -hmm. hope for the workbook is to really provide that immersive deep dive for each of us honoring that we all have different things that are keeping us stuck, different habits and patterns that came from different places, mm -hmm. but really how and where to look again, to find those places that might be keeping us cycling in habits that aren't serving us with the hoped for journey to be. Um, and something that I often talk about and how to do the work is how so many of us, what we're living, the reality we're embodying isn't who we really are. It comes again from our conditioning, our childhood trauma that many of us may have experienced, but it isn't our true self. So then the workbook became that really immersive journey to begin to become conscious of what are those habits that are keeping me disconnected from this true authentic self of my, me. Mm -hmm. And then how do I begin to peel back all of that onion, the layers of the onion so that I can reconnect with. And for some of us rediscover yeah. who it is that we really are. Okay. So going off of that, then like the first thing I really want to explore is wh why is there such a need for us to meet ourselves? Like where, where obviously everybody's different, but where does this disconnect happen? Uh, like, what is it? What does it mean to meet myself? And then where typically do these disconnects take place? Is it when we're younger, when we're kids? Is it when we're older? Is it kind of a mixed bag of everything? Where where does it happen? Yeah, I think the simplest way to kind of define who we really are is mm -hmm. the distinction that maybe some listeners have heard being made. I think it's more recently often talked about mm -hmm. who am I in my being, right? Yeah. Can I just be who I am, as opposed yeah. to what are all of these things I do, mm -hmm. these, you know, ways of being, these masks I wear, um, these roles I play. And I mm. think that a really simple, I like to simplify a lot of the concepts that I speak about when we're talking about our authentic self, it's that beingness, right? Mm. And oftentimes we can refer back to our childhood, which is where our conditioning happens, that mm -hmm. separation you know, because of contextual factors, cultural factors, who we had present or not present to us, helping us meet our needs. Mm -hmm. We, when we don't feel safe enough to just to be who we are, to express yeah. our thoughts, to share our feelings, to tune into what our natural gifts are. We all have natural things that you know excite us, light us up, that we're interested in, that we're just naturally good at, mm -hmm. that we can share with the world. But again, for many different reasons, we have had to adapt in childhood. So we've begun to modify, to answer your question, then creating yeah. a disconnection from that pure state of being. Even think of a child, right? They say mm -hmm. what's on their mind. They express what they're feeling. <laughs> they tell you exactly what or what they think. They just are who they are, you know, painting themselves in colors, if that's what's like, you know, is of their authentic self-expression but and yeah. belong more often than not many of us for, again, many different reasons, don't have that safety and security in that early relationship. Mm -hmm. So we begin that process of suppressing those natural inclinations, modifying ourselves, and shifting into, again, these habits. At one time, mm -hmm. I just want to end with this because I think this is to, to acknowledge is if you're resonating with, you know, I don't know who I am. I don't know how it is just to be myself. Or maybe I do have an idea of what really is, who is me, but for many different reasons, I'm not that person, right? We might feel shameful. Um, I can imagine, and I've heard from a lot of people as we, you know, are up in age, this idea like, oh my gosh, I'm in 50s, 60s. And I don't know who I am yet. What is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. So what I want to end with is the reality that 
all of that adaptation served us at one time. It was oftentimes our best attempt at keeping ourselves safe, our best or only attempt at keeping ourselves somewhat connected to those caregivers, to that environment in which we were dependent. So again, my hope why I explain all of the physiology, neurology behind everything that we're talking about from habits to how they're developed is to relieve maybe the shame that some of us are carrying when we do wake up, you know, into late in life and we don't yet knew, know who we are. There's a reason. And there's also now choices that we can begin to make to rediscover and to reconnect with that more authentic space. Yeah. And I think that's so important because the 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 shame can just kind of almost hammer in that disconnectedness. Like it could just make mm-hmm. it feel worse. It could just make it feel even harder to feel more connected because the more shame I feel, the heavier everything else feels. Yeah. And the more risk then to begin to show ourselves, right? right? If we already don't feel worthy, you know, it's going to feel really vulnerable and scary to begin to more authentically express ourselves. And I love how you're describing it. We do get caught then in this shame cycle where I might prevent myself from showing this in fear of being left, being abandoned, being hurt by someone if they don't receive or if they're not accepting of what I show. And so I show a little less of it and then I feel shameful because I'm not showing it. And right. And so the cycle continues. Yeah. So here's a question that just came to me. You you talk to us about how we typically become disconnected from ourselves. But I guess the question I have then is, is it inevitable that everyone will somehow become disconnected from their authentic self at some point in their life? And then springboarding off of that, like thinking as a parent, as a, I have a five-year-old, how do I help prevent that from happening to my daughter? Like what advice do you have for, uh, for parents that would help them raise authentic kids who maybe aren't as prone to being disconnected from their authentic selves as maybe other kids might be? Parenting, you know, speaking to you and all yeah. the other parents out there is, <laughs> is such, you know, it's, it's a huge undertaking. There's no um, instruction that, manual. <laughs> there, there's no instruction manual and the process of parenting, right? So to mm-hmm. allow a child or anyone to be themselves, right? We have to create space for Mm -hmm. them to be themselves. We have to give them the message, direct and indirect, that it's okay to express what I think is more often difficult to experience, differing (laughs) opinions in ourselves, allowing our children literally to begin to explore, experiment, get curious, try on for size, all of the different possibilities of who they might be allowing again that's kind of I'm kind of describing that space and all of that is grounded in first and foremost making sure that a parent is attuned to that child's needs physically first right making sure that they're in a body that can be safe that can be regulated making sure that they're sleeping as a child that they're getting the nutrients that they need as a child that they're getting the movement and rest that they need as a child to allow them again a grounded presence in their nervous system mm-hmm. um, to then be able to emotionally express to create space for all of the different emotions that a child might express <laughs> and not making it about the parent and allowing right the child to explore yeah. what works for them yeah. in terms of regulating or feeling better soothing those emotions so again this is just a little portion sure. of the giant task of parenting. So to answer your question, right, Mm -hmm. is it inevitable? In my opinion, I've yet to meet, I like to refer to them as the unicorn who's really (laughs) had that attuned parent because it begins not with reading the right parenting manual, not with having the right knowledge of what to do. That means that that parent themselves has to be regulated in their own body, has to know how to meet their own body's needs, acknowledging that it might be different. Yeah. Then how they then teach their child to meet their child's physical needs emotionally again, 
So that means we need to have a regulated, grounded, safe parent. And the reality of it is again, for different generational region, reasons, cultural reasons, um, you know, financial, structural resource reasons, we, we are not raised by parents who have had that ability. So yeah. inevitably I've met more people than again, I haven't met the unicorn <laughs> who had that really safe, secure parent to create that space consistently for that child. So more often than not, we have adapted in some way. Um, we have squashed some aspect. Um, some of us have squashed most of mm -hmm. our authentic self-expression. And again, as our means at keeping those important connections that were necessary for our survival in our earliest life experiences. I think one of the things that as a parent is inevitable is that we will all at some point squash our kids' authentic selves. But I think what I'm learning is the power of an apology, even to a five-year-old, the the power of going to her and saying like, you know, mommy and daddy totally got that wrong. We completely messed up in the way that we responded to you. We're sorry because a lot of people didn't get that as kids. And I think that that causes all sorts of other problems. But I think if we can own as parents when we do make a mistake, I think it maybe can help undo a little bit of that inauthenticity that we might've created in our child. 100%, whether it's the child at 5, 15, 25, yeah. 35, right? I think anytime there's that honest awareness, open acknowledgement, sharing, again, I yeah. think a lot of shame going back to that topic. Mm -hmm. I think shame prevents a lot of parents from even saying, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm doing. And that for any parent <laughs> who had a first child, I imagine they're not sure. They've yeah. never had a relationship with this particular unique being. They've never parent parented yeah. a child before. Right. So how would they know? Yet we put this expectation that we should just know. And if we do even come to the awareness that, you know, we could have done things a little differently. Maybe mm -hmm. we do owe an apology or can take some responsibility. Shame might be exactly what prevents that parent yeah. from acknowledging it. And the reality of a child is they are so attuned. They are yeah. so aware. Even if things aren't directly being acknowledged or spoken they are being felt. So yeah. to gift then our child with the language of understanding is an incredible gift because whether or not we want to admit it, the child is feeling the energy of whatever's happening, even if we aren't labeling it. So yeah. what the child will then do, because we all have a brain, what something mm -hmm. that unifies us as a human, we have a meaning seeking brain. We need mm -hmm. to understand what's happening around us. You know, it's evolutionarily geared to keep us safe. So that child in absence of being told what's actually happening mm -hmm. will create a story for themselves about what's happening. And that is where a lot of us begin a belief, mm -hmm. right, of unworthiness, of not being loved enough, because that is our only way of making sense of what's happening around us when we don't have the mature awareness and when we don't have the parent telling us directly, mm -hmm. you know, what's going on. We're sensing it. And again, we're making sense of it often based on our limited developmental awareness. Yeah. It's like you, like she's five years old. So as a five-year-old, you only have so many different pieces right. that you can put into place. And if you have the wrong pieces to put into place, then it just causes all sorts of problems. That, that makes a lot of sense. So one of the things I want to talk to you, I want to talk to you a little bit more about, about habits. And you've already kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, but how our habits keep us disconnected from who we really are. And I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit more about that, like what kind of habits are we are we talking about? Like what constitutes a habit that is going to disconnect us from our authentic selves? Like what's that look like? Maybe an example or two. And secondly, like, again, maybe a little bit more about how, how do we pick up these habits in our lives? Like where do these habits 
come from? Like thinking, thinking as like a normal person who's working like a, you know, a normal job, raising kids, doing that kind of stuff. Like what, where do these habits come from? And then um, how do they, how do they disconnect us from our authentic selves? So for anyone out there who's maybe even shaking their head, uh, because I think (laughs) a lot of times when we hear habits, um, at least maybe I'll speak from my own perception or awareness, I have Mm -hmm. the idea that a lot of us kind of define habits as, you know, whether it's a nutrition habit, we're changing our meal plan or exercise (laughs) habit, right? The reality of it is we are a habitual individual Mm -hmm. being outside of those much more intentional ways that I think habit is a, as even a word, a concept mm-hmm. is used. So again, anyone shaking their head that's like, well, I don't, I don't have habits. Maybe that's part of the issue that you want to <laughs> change is you have the idea that you have no habits. No. The reality is, again, we are habitual beings. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it's not only grounded in our evolution, which tells us that that which is predictable, habitual, mm-hmm. is automatically going to be deemed safer to my subconscious mind, because Mm -hmm. in the uncertainty, not knowing what comes next could be the possible threat, right? That harms my physical existence and evolutionarily, right? We are wired to avoid that. Mm -hmm. We also, our body, our brain included needs so much calories, so Mm -hmm. much resources to function. So there's a very real physiological reason why we like to be habitual. We like mm-hmm. to have those moments of, right, I'm driving home in the car and I'm rehashing the argument I had with my colleague at work and <laughs> lo and behold, I'm home, right? Yeah. How did I get home, right? My habit self, who knows how to drive a car habitually, who knows the road home habitually, right, was able to drive me home. And all of that is the less attention I have to pay to carrying myself through my day-to-day life, the more I'm conserving calories to do other things in upkeeping my physical body. So Mm. habits, again, can be everything from, and if you do choose to pick up the workbook behind me, Mm -hmm. you will meet, you know, habits that include all of the the practical objective things we do in care of our body, Mm. right? How, in terms of what are nutritional habits, like how do we eat our meals? When do we eat our meals? What do we habitually eat for our meals? Mm. Same thing with movement, with rest. In my opinion, these are all, you know, core needs, core physical habit needs, mm. um, all of which, again, are modeled to us in childhood. What were we taught to do in terms mm. of caring for our physical self? More importantly, what did we see others around us doing in caring for their physical self? Mm. And the reason why we care for our physical self is because our nervous system, which is, you know, encased, running, directing our physical body, plays an incredibly important role from how we then next set of habits, regulate our emotions. How do we relate to other people? How are we just being in the world? All of that is directed by our nervous system. And then those become the second set of habits. We can become aware of what are the habitual thoughts that are running through my mind? Just like I shared, we're all narrating life. If you begin to tune your awareness or just pay attention, observe what those narrations are, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be telling yourself new stories each day, day in and day out. You're probably going to be revisiting the same meanings of behaviors, the same causes for events, the same habitual stories you're telling yourself. Similarly with emotions, we're very Mm -hmm. habited in our emotional world. Mm -hmm. Um, We might always feel stress. We might always feel sad, always feel angry, always feel anxious or whatever it might be. And again, all of that is... um, happened, created, our habits are created from the earliest experiences, the context, the people around us, what we were taught, and also what we were shown by other people. 
Do you think that there's a also like a place where we sometimes develop habits in response to like a fear that we might have? Like maybe it's a fear that we have about ourselves or a fear that we have about something in regards to our families or something. We develop these habits in order to kind of keep those fears at bay. Is there a sense where that's true as well? 100%. Mm. And again, all of that is often learned in terms of fear and what did yeah. we see? How did, do we have a helpful support, mm-hmm. right? Helping us navigate fear alongside of us, going back to that concept, not telling us what to do when we're scared, mm-hmm. sitting alongside of us in our fear. And for me, even going back to how I introduced myself, right? The little girl afraid of the world. Yeah. Most of my habits, most of my entire way of being, you know, up until my 20s when I started to become aware of all of this was aimed at deep-rooted fear of not having a supportive parent or caregiver helping me make sense, helping me feel safe enough Mm -hmm. in my fear, everything I embodied from the racing thoughts, from the inability to even be away from my cell phone and fear of not being connected right to the parent that something bad could happen to, all of that was, as you're kind of making the beautiful point, an attempt for me to, to regulate, to be enough okay with intense fear behaviors yeah. or fear feelings. And then the behaviors that right kind of helped me navigate that fear. Yeah. And I'm not correct. Probably if you think I'm wrong here, but w- the place where I've been at, like in my own journey is thinking about, like, I used to spend so much energy trying to expel the fear. Like I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to get this fear out of my life. I'm never going to have it again. It's going to go away. Like I'm going to overcome the fear. I'm going to, I'm going to win the battle. But now I'm in this place where I'm like, you know, what? I don't know if these fears are ever really going to fully go away like they've been with me for so long so maybe instead of like trying to invest so much energy and pushing the fear away and eradicating it out of my life maybe i just i need to give it a space at the table not just at not but not at the head of the table give it a space at the table let it breathe let it do its thing but just don't let it control me don't let it drive the car don't let it drive me to these habits but just give it give it a voice because i feel like the more i press up against it the louder it gets but the less I press it, the more I let it kind of come into the room, the 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 quieter it is, and the more I'm able to feel like I'm able to process and think about moving forward in my life. Am I kind of on the right track? <laughs> yes. And we yeah. want the fear in the room yeah. because the fear, just like any emotion, sadness, anger included, mm-hmm. right? Difficult emotions for many of us, they are messengers. There's information contained. We don't want to avoid feeling fear. We don't mm-hmm. want to squash it or suppress it so much. Because fear, right, can indicate to us that possible threat, the reality that, you know what, this might be an unsafe relationship experience, you know, path for me. Same thing with anger. You know, all of these emotions are, you know, kind of evolutionarily geared to send us those different messages. Anger, you know, tells us when there's been a violation, you know, when we feel or when we've had a boundary overstepped. Mm -hmm. That might be important information so that then I could navigate this experience differently. I can create safety. I can remove myself from it. Sadness Mm -hmm. similarly is when I've experienced a loss, oftentimes in my relationships, in my point of connection. Mm -hmm. We all need human connections as as human individuals, as a Mm -hmm. human species. We are wired to connect with other people. So when we experience sadness or those feelings of loss, 
that's real. That's information that tells us that that thing was important to us and now it's no longer present. So Mm -hmm. making the case of allowing all of our emotions to have a seat at the table, to speak to your point though, not to be directing our reactivity, but allowing them to have the seat so that we can understand the message that it's sending us. But what we want to do is drop in from that reactive space that many of us, even if we're really defendant of allowing ourselves feeling that emotion, it's all still happening in our bodies. And what we might be experiencing is the explosive reactivity that maybe some of us go to, to keep ourselves safe or others, that disconnection that very much described my experience. The reason I was so disconnected from my life was because I was so disconnected. It didn't mean my emotions weren't under the surface. I just got really good at not paying attention to them. So we want to shift from reacting to my emotions to acknowledging that they're there, they're under the surface. We actually want them to be there. They have value information. And now I can consciously choose to respond in a different way. Yeah, that's so good. So another layer to all this then is how, how does this work like this, this work about authentic self? How does that, how does it relate to inner child work? And I ask that because we've had a lot of people on the show recently, especially in this last year, talking about inner child work. And most recently we had uh, Nate Postelwaite come on. So our regular listeners are kind of familiar with that term, but I, I'm, I feel like I'm seeing a lot of different parallels between the work that you're talking about and things that like Nate has spoke to us about. Is there overlap in these two things? Are they different at all? Like what would your response be to that? Yeah, there, there's very much overlap mm-hmm. and right, the inner child, the way I simply define it is that part of our subconscious mind that, you know, houses all of the deeper wounds, all of the deeper beliefs, again, that were created in our very real lived experiences that often are active in those moments of reactivity in those mm. ways that maybe we navigate our emotions without having the support to help us, you know, understand them, regulate them in that calm ground, that responsive way. We do become mm. overreactive. We do shut people out, right? In that very childlike way. So in my opinion, back to the question you asked me almost mm-hmm. when we began of, right, is there anyone who doesn't, you know, kind of have that level of disconnection? We all, you know, even if we're well into our adult years, have that very childlike wounded, often part of our subconscious mind. So when we are in that, you know, kind of childlike self um, mm-hmm. reacting to the world around us, you know, I would make a case that we're disconnected from that authentic way of being. We might not want to, and I can just speak from my own lived experience. When I still, you know, scream and yell when I don't like (laughs) something or, you know, disconnect and, you know, bring my toys away from you from the sandbox into the other room and like, leave me alone, right? We we still have those ways of being um, that again, might contribute to us, you know, not feeling so great about ourselves, not being disconnected. I can assure you for me, at least, that's Mm -hmm. not how I want to be in those moments, the feeling that I might be having, I might be upset with what's happening in, in mm-hmm. some extent to some, you know, for some reason, but I don't want to be hurting others around me. And for some of us, we turn it inward. We self-harm, yeah. you know, we engage in behaviors that end up hurting ourselves and, or like I was just sharing other people. And, you know, yeah. in that moment, in my opinion, we're not connected to our authentic, we're not saying or doing what we really mean. So the work then is in terms of just tying this all together, becoming aware that we all have, right, these beliefs ingrained from our childhood, these wounds, these points of reaction, you know, that are very similar to what once has happened. And then I shift into that 
safety creating mode, usually those habitual cycles of reactivity, when I become conscious that that is the case in these moments, in this now moment, now I can gift myself with that possibility of choosing that new response of being responsive. So it's honoring the inner child that lives inside of us, not, you know, not removing the reality of those feelings. They're real. Even if they're over the top, disproportionate, whatever you want to call it (laughs) to what's happening, there's a realness about them. They came from somewhere. There's a similarity in the sense I'm making about what's happening now, yet I can still become responsive in a new way into my adulthood. Yeah. And I found it so helpful to talk to that part of myself, like to ask that part of myself, like envision the smaller version of myself. And when I feel like those huge feelings coming up to say like, tell me what's going on right now. Like help me understand like where this came from. And so many times, like I'll sit down with a journal or something like that. And I'll come to this memory that maybe I forgot about. And I'm like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense as to why I'm responding to this situation the way that I'm responding, because it reminds me of what happened in this situation way back when. Love that example. Journaling, you know, can be a really great way. Meditation um, can be a really great way. And of course, I just have to always speak to those of us because one of the byproducts of being as disconnected as I was beginning in childhood is for me, um, I I really largely lack those kind of recall-based memories, the movie screens, as I like to call them, right? Having the moment of, oh yeah, that's what happened then. Um, So to speak to that point, because as I began to talk more frequently about that, I'm, you know, hearing the resonance. There's a lot of us who don't have or can't access the yeah. what happened. Yeah. And we don't necessarily just if there's a follow up with the possible question that I might be hearing listeners have is, sure. well, can I still heal? And the yeah. reality of it is absolutely we can yeah. start with what's happening now. If we yeah. don't know what it connects back to, what is it about this moment? What sense did my mind make of it? If I can really dig down, what is it that I'm feeling underneath? What is it that I'm fearing mm-hmm. underneath? We can begin right here, right now, because while we might not be able to recall that movie yeah. screen, the snapshot of what happened, we're living it, embodying it in mind and body in our reactivity right now. All right. So another question I have for you, and this one is going to take a little bit of context of my story. So bear with me as I share with you a little bit about, about myself, but I came from a very uh, fundamentalist evangelical background, and I've talked about this on the podcast many times, but coming from that background, I grew up uh, constantly feeling like I had to suppress myself, like suppress my needs, my desires, my thoughts, even my beliefs. Like if I had an idea, like a belief about about God or faith, whatever, that was different than what the the system was handing me, I was taught that I was wrong, right? Because I'm born this sinner and there's no good thing in me apart from God, the heart is deceitful above all things. And I don't believe that anymore. But like at, at 40 years old, I'm finding that that message is so deeply ingrained in my head that I have to literally like push against it like every single day. And to be like really vulnerable with you, when I was on when I was on Zoom before you jumped on in the room, I saw the notification that you your name popped up that you're waiting for me to let you in. And I like literally was like, well, maybe the internet will go out right now. Like I was, I felt like I was going to throw up and my, <laughs> my brain like exploded with, you can't do this. Like you have nothing to add to this conversation. You're going to say something stupid. You're wasting Nicole's time on and on and on. And that voice I'm really beginning to feel was kind of like keeping me, I think, from connecting with my authentic self's voice, if that makes sense. Because like, honestly, it happens all the time, like before every podcast recording, even in like day-to-day conversations. And I think that since a lot of our listeners grew up in that same kind of a world, I think that maybe other people have a similar voice 
in their head. So my question is, what advice do you have for people who, like myself, maybe grew up in a very religiously fundamentalist world where they were taught to suppress their authentic selves, so much so that today they struggle to hear any other voice inside other than that internal religious one that seems to chatter and scream at them and shame them and belittle them 24-7. I appreciate you sharing um, not only your, your background, um, but also <laughs> your pre your pre-Zoom call experience. I think that there's that, that, I mean, you know, I would be lying again if I said yeah. that I don't have, you know, not only that voice, but, you know, moments of mm -hmm. that question, right? I mean, here you're saying, you know, what do I have to say? And I'm wondering, what do I have to say? <laughs> um, oftentimes. And so what I want to, you know, answer to anyone out there listening um, is I first want to, I first want to celebrate the awareness of that voice yeah. um, because some of us, you know, aren't yet even aware of that unconscious kind of vetting process of ourselves, yeah. as I call it, that is happening below the surface. So yeah. for me, while it wasn't necessarily grounded in a religion, religion um, type belief system or institution, um, I had a lot of culturally driven beliefs, um, particularly around the family and what my role was in, in being connected to the family and being the same as the family unit, yeah. thinking the same things, believing the same things um, in all in serving the family, meaning being there, being present, connected to the family. And so for a lot of us, and the, what I was sharing is it was so below the surface. It took me into my twenties to realize that before I shared what I thought about something, before I expressed what I was feeling about something, before I acknowledged what I wanted to do, right. For some upcoming plan or not do, for instance, all below the surface, I was vetting what mm -hmm. the possible reaction of that per other person might be all with this all-consuming concern that I not be the perfect friend, partner, sister, yeah. you know, person in this particular instance. And if for any reason, right, if I imagine saying what I wanted to say, expressing mm -hmm. emotionally what I want to express, honoring what I wanted to do, my needs in any given moment by being mm -hmm. present or not being present to whatever was being asked or offered of me, if I played that tape forward, again, all outside of even my awareness, and I had the idea that that might upset this person, meaning they might not like what they hear, think negatively, deem me not the supportive friend that they needed me to be in that moment, yeah. I wouldn't even do it. So yeah. the reason why I'm saying is to celebrate it is because that point of consciousness is incredibly important in, in the journey, acknowledging right that I do have these voices that are coloring, maybe restricting, allowing me to then, if I act or you know react to them, suppress mm -hmm. yeah. what it is that I really want that then over time will create that space that we've been talking about yeah. to pay a little less attention to those voices, mm. to acknowledge because we can't flip that light switch. Even when we do notice they're there, we can't be like, okay, well, they're done now, right? right? If habitually those <laughs> yeah. voices have kept us in the safe boundaries, right? Determined mm. to us by those early relationships, connected to that religious institution that was so yeah. important in that family, connected to that culture, connected to even that family itself. Mm -hmm. Right. Acknowledging that that is present, not it's not going to now just shut off now that we've seen it, but now we, that we've become conscious of it, we can choose to turn our focus of attention away from it. Mm -hmm. Right. Not just continue to remind myself of how terrible I am, how bad I am, how immoral I am, whatever the language is, yeah. I can refocus my attention away from those thoughts and I can give yeah. myself then the possibility of making a new choice, though I urge every all of us not to expect 
that new choice to be easy, mm -hmm. right? Because all of those beliefs are so ingrained to us. Now, not only are we going out into that unfamiliar, that's going to signal that possible threat, because I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know how this person's going to respond, receive me. What will their reaction be? And in reality, it might not be favorable yeah. because likely what has happened over time in our families and our religions and our cultures, we've we've created a violation. I mean, an expectation, right? They've expected this of me. I've always showed up in this way. So now the second I'm not showing up in this yeah. way at minimum, there's a bit of surprise. Oh, wow. You're not believing this anymore. You do think differently. I wasn't expecting mm -hmm. that of you. And now, of course, the more ingrained that we are in that relationship, the more than other reactions can come to be as well. But in to right. become conscious that these thoughts, these beliefs are part of what's directing the choices that we're making, mm -hmm. we're not going to even give ourselves that possibility to make a new choice. So while it is painful to see these inner critics, these critical voices judging us at every turn, yeah. seeing it will be what not recite, not ruminating on it, right? Not spiraling down the loop of it, seeing it and creating the opportunity for a new choice is the only way that we're going to create new habits. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you correctly, it's almost like going back to what we were saying earlier, it's giving that religion, like for me, that religious voice, whatever, whatever voice it is for our listeners, that seat at the table, but not giving it the head seat, but letting it express right. itself and acknowledging it and honoring it, like you said, because it is a voice, it is there and not trying to shut it out. And there's value, right? Like what yeah. they're, they're, maybe those relationships are important to you still, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe in terms of, you know, being a good person, maybe we can unlearn a bit of what we thought that was, yeah. but that might be a value of yours, right? Being yeah. connected to your community, being connected to maybe a religious-based institution, maybe if it's not mm -hmm. the one you were born in, whatever it might be, right? There's value. So allowing it to have that value, but not to dictate or determine what you do. That's so good. All right. Last question for you. Um, talk to the person who is who's listening and they feel like they really need to do to do this. They need to do the work. They need to uh, reconnect with their authentic selves. Where does someone begin uh, engaging in that reconnection? Like, is it as simple as picking up the workbook, diving in? Is there any kind of preliminary work someone should do? Should it be done in a group setting, maybe with like a partner? Uh, is a licensed counselor, therapist helpful <laughs> in these situations? Like person working again, like a nine to five job, raising two kids, paying the mortgage, drinking unhealthy amounts of coffee. How can they best engage in this work that you're presenting us presenting us with? Yeah, so again, I want to kind of offer um, a bit of celebration. I think anyone who considers changing, again, mm -hmm. because we're not wired to even want to change, yep. is something to <laughs> celebrate. Regardless yeah. of how it is that you got there, right? That bottom you hit, that explosion that maybe happened from external circumstances in your life, however it is that you are even considering yep. showing up differently is is hugely worthy in my opinion of celebration and again whether or not you have access to supportive professionals supportive communities supportive relationships right all of that is you know greatly of benefit again we are wired we need those safe spaces one of the biggest reasons why when i created that instagram account mm -hmm. i did you know begin to utilize create and utilize that hashtag self healers as a way to begin to connect with other people. Because as I saw the current relationships that I had brought from my childhood, I continued to see that lack of safety and space to be who I was. So for yeah. me, it was the need to find and connect with other people um, who would begin to build the community of safety of, of this, the 
you know, space for me to begin to, you know, be express what authentically was true for me. So if we have access, of course, to those supportive professionals, I urge anyone to, you know, if they resonate with any of this, begin to use that hashtag. The community is very large now and very global. So you might find the people, right, with whom you naturally resonate, who share similarities in your journey, who might over time translate to be those supportive people on your journey. So though regardless of if we have those or not, and we are attempting or do want to set the intention to change, the number one suggestion I can give anyone, um, not only to begin to build that basis of observation, seeing the habits, becoming conscious, maybe exploring your, or maybe observing yourself for the next yeah. week, seeing what it is that you do first thing you get out of bed. <laughs> what, are, what do your just maybe just daily habits look like, right? Yeah. Just turning that attention to the reality that you do have those habits. Now, assuming we want to make changes, right? Because that's typically we're going to change something in some direction. Mm -hmm. The number one suggestion I can give anyone listening is to set the intention to change at a manageable step, right? Mm -hmm. Not deciding to overhaul life from top to bottom, starting tomorrow, doing everything differently. (laughs) Because again, that's only going to challenge that subconscious. The further I go out into the unknown, the more the resistance, the more the thoughts that are telling me to get back, the more the discomfort in my body that's telling me to get back to that familiar way of being. So I often talk about um, a concept that we use in in my membership, the uh, self-healer circle, is a small daily promise. So setting that intention, right? Knocking off numbers two through five on your to-do list of new (laughs) things and just practice keeping that one small promise consistently day after day because the consistency is what creates that new habit. So whether or not the habit is even just to become conscious, maybe your small daily promise as you tune out to tune off to this podcast is to just for the next two weeks, observe your daily habits, maybe just morning habits to begin with, just see what it is that you do in those first few moments out of bed, become conscious in that way, keeping it small and manageable and then repeat over time consistently. Because again, the parting words is until we become conscious of what's keeping ourselves stuck, we're not going to be able to create change. Change is automatically going to be difficult to us, our subconscious. So when we do make that commitment to create change, which is worthy of celebration, set yourself up to succeed, make the promise so small that it almost feels like nothing new is happening and then practice keeping that promise consistently over time. And then you could build another promise on top of that foundation. Yeah. That's so good. And I love that you said like starting small with even like observing the things that you do. I think even like observing the things that you think, right? Like when Mm -hmm. I first opened up my eyes in the morning, once I started like really thinking about what I think about, I'm like, oh my goodness, like the steady stream of things going through my head when I first opened up my eyes is like so much So what can I do to kind of harness some of that and be more intentional with those thoughts that go through my head? Absolutely. And I'll just share it. I mean, I, you know, for me, it was really coming to the awareness. The second my eyes opened, I began to tell myself how stressful my day was, how much I didn't or couldn't do it, didn't want to do it, right? Made sense with why I felt so unmotivated, why it was so difficult for me to get out of bed and why everything did feel so big. Because by the time my eyes opened, I was building up how big the things were I had to do so that by the time I got to them, why would I want to do them? They already feel so overwhelming. I was priming myself 
for the stressful day that I then just created. And again, none of this was in a vacuum for me. All of this traced back to my childhood where stress was predominant, where there was a lack of support and where there was a litany of narration of how overwhelming life was for very understandable reasons, because it wasn't because it was, I mean, because none of us had the ability to tolerate stress. And I saw that in my thinking mind from the moment my eyes opened. Yeah. That's so good. Well, hey, we are just about out of time, but this has been so much fun. Uh, Thank you, Nicole, for taking the time for me and for our listeners. Uh, I'm grateful. Of course. Thank you so much, Glenn, for sharing your time, your presence, your story, and for everyone out there listening. Yeah, definitely. And I know your work is all over the internet, but what are the top two, three places where you'd send people to interact with you and your work? And is there anything else too that you want to make people aware of virtually that they can get involved with with your community? Yeah, absolutely. So at this point, I'm pretty much on all of the social media platforms. So where it all began um, is that Instagram account, the dot holistic dot psychologist. Um, for anyone who <laughs> the roots are there, for anyone who does um, have the workbook or is yeah. choosing, going to choose to purchase the workbook, um, we're doing something called Meet Yourself Mornings, where many of us in community are going to be going through the workbook. You can watch me and my stories every morning, making my own way through the workbook and using that meet yourself mornings hashtag. So specifically that's around the course. If you're a YouTuber, Mm -hmm. there's a YouTube channel. Um, I have our own podcast that I co-host with my partner, Jenna, the self healer soundboard. So pretty much however you consume content listeners, I urge you to check um, out the holistic psychologist or Dr. Nicola Perra on that platform for the free um, resources. I also have a website, theholisticpsychologist.com who anyone who might want more information on my membership, the self healer circle can find all of that information there. Awesome. I'll put all the links in the show notes and maybe we'll get to do this again sometime. Thank you so much. And I would love that opportunity. Awesome. Thank you, Nicole. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed up fancy. Wish I on a pot and so go with the rainbow. Pot of Tom Clancy. Wish I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go and hit a run. I'm a check. Wish I had no other sandbox beat. I'm a chest. Wishing for my people. Uh, wish I had more better leaders. Having enough to make our own land. Name our own picture, we bring our own sand. Wherever we live is so bland. So much we're high on demand. Tiptoe around throwing high lows. Feel like James Brown, love we going here to dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fall. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champion. Go ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Wish I had red bottles on my feet. Everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride. Did this beat neat? Ever wanna follow my speed? Let's close those more keys. Carolina Rose on freeze. Wishing I could fly to the keys. That will be more free. Something hit my mind, hit the dough. Put on my fresh fit. Toast Sir Charles, let's go. We about to go and get it. Uh, let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at the fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champions. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. 
it's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. I wish.